good morning. Welcome to Summit Church. I just want to thank you for being here today. Um, here's the deal. We are just going to continue. We're just going to keep right going from where we left off last Sunday. We started, we started our study through the book of Ephesians. We have committed to walk verse by verse through this book. We're going to take the better part of a year to do so and just to bring everybody up to speed. If you were not here last week, this is your first time here, that's great. Uh, we walked through the first three verses. We really focused on verse 3. Verse 3 says this, it will not be on the screen behind it, but it says this, that we were blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm in Christ Jesus. We kind of unpacked what that might mean, what that might look like. We really focused on the truth of being in Christ Jesus and not deceiving ourselves in any way uh, as to think that we're in Christ if we're not in Christ because if all of these blessings come from that we want to make sure we're there what we will look at today are verses four through six in verses four through six we see God's working out of those blessings if we've been blessed if we are being blessed verses four through six will describe what God does specifically in context of those blessings, verses 7 through 10, which we will get to next week, describe what Jesus has done in context of those blessings, specifically that he died for us to redeem and forgive us. And then verses 11 through 14, we'll talk about what the Holy Spirit does in order to pour out these blessings, these spiritual blessings upon us, and also how the Holy Spirit is the guarantor of those blessings. It's the seal, the deposit that says, all right, if, if you've got this, then you've got the rest of it. That will be how we walk for the next few weeks. But I want you to hear this. I want you to see the whole picture because it's beautiful. Paul, in verses 3 through 14, writes one run-on sentence. 220-some words of just blah, 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 blah. Uh, God is so good because he's blessed us, and here's how he's done it. Through himself, through Jesus, through the Holy Spirit. Paul just unloads. And we might think it's haphazard, it's just adjective after adjective describing this, but it's not. Look at the beauty of it. It's the Trinity. You've been blessed in the spiritual realm with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And here's God and what he does in this. And then Jesus and the Holy Spirit. I was talking to one of our staff guys this week as I was kind of unpacking that for them, and he just went, how do you do that? How, how do you appear to just be rambling, yet produce such beauty? How in the world can you just espouse these things, and then it ends up being like this perfect Trinitarian view of blessing? How do you do that? And one, after being awed by it myself, just kind of went, well, it's because Paul's writing through the Holy Spirit. Like, this is God really doing it, and this is God putting it on the page, and this is, this is God's beauty and his workmanship, and that's him describing for us what we have been blessed with in the heavenly realms because of being in Christ Jesus. It's very cool, but I don't just share that because it's cool. I share that so that we have the context. If we're going to interpret verses 4 through 6, which is where we'll stop today, if we're going to interpret them correctly, we need context. We need to know how to read it, and why to read it, and what context it's in, and this is in the context of the work that God does for us to be blessed in the spiritual realm, in Christ. Now that we got it, verse 4. Ephesians 1, verse 4. For he chose us, the first action 
of God in this blessing is a choosing of us. He chose us in Him before the creation of the world for this purpose, to be holy and blameless in His sight. To be holy and blameless in His sight. He will see us as holy and blameless. Now, He did something. He chose us before the creation of the world. Here's the statement I have that governs verse 4. If you want to jot this down, you can. God chose us in Christ before anyone had a chance to earn favor. That's why I think it's imperative that this choosing happens before the foundations of the world. This choosing happens before there was a star or a cloud or a hippopotamus. This choosing happened before there was any of this because if the choosing, if God choosing happened after we were created, then our our normal human nature would be to go, well, he chose me because I'm awesome. He chose me because I go to the right church or I wear the right clothes or I say the right things or I don't ever say the wrong things. He chose me because I don't do this or I did. If the choosing occurred after we'd had any time at all to walk on this earth, we are so conceited as a human race that we'd be like, well, of course he chose me because of this. But that's not when it happened. God chose some before anyone had a chance to earn any favor. Before anyone had a chance to do anything that they might look at God and be like, well, of course you picked me. Look at me. God chose us in Christ before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless. The elephant in the room is this. That first phrase says God chose God chose us. Before we had a chance to do anything else, God chose us. You see, we don't swallow that pill very well. And the only reason we don't swallow is not because we think that Scripture's messed up, not because of anything else. The only reason we have trouble swallowing that concept is because our story is contradictory to it. And here's what I mean. Who in here can tell me the day, possibly even the hour, the context, the setting surrounding you accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Mine happened 18 years ago. And I can tell you the date. I can tell you roughly the time. I can tell you where I was at. I can tell you sort of what the guy talked about. But I can definitely tell you this. I stood up, I walked down an aisle, and I chose Jesus. I chose him. that's That's how it played out. So there's this issue when you start saying that really what happened there was God chose me. God chose me, and because he chose me, I got up and walked down the aisle and chose him? It doesn't line up with our story. But here's my problem. In my story, I am the primary character and God is the supporting cast. And in God's story, he don't like that. 
in God's story of creation and fall and redemption and salvation, in that story, God has always been and He will always be the primary character. We get by grace to be a part of that story. But in my story, the thought that I chose God, that's awful selfish. It's somewhat conceited. I think it belittles God and elevates me. And then my biggest problem with it, I really can't find anywhere in Scripture that says specifically we get to choose Jesus. I see all throughout Scripture God choosing men and women for his own purpose and for his own glory. I see that. They're just walking down the street and bam, you're with me now. Oh, okay. I see God doing choosing. I see 11 verses in the New Testament that are very similar to verse 4 here in Ephesians. I see a lot of that, but I don't really see any Scripture that says that I am the one who gets to do the choosing. So even though my story may feel different, I think, church, we're required to take this passage for what it says because I believe what it says is closer to the truth than my story. And what it says is that before the creation of the world, he chose us, he chose those who were in Christ to be holy and blameless in his sight. And not to belabor this, but for those of you who just intellectually can't get your minds wrapped around that, so if he chose and I didn't, then how did that happen? Take it from the intellectual and move it to the heart. Just, just do that for me. Take it from here and move it to here. And ask yourself, is it, is it possible that in God choosing me in Christ, he affected a change in my heart that allowed me to choose him? He was the one who caused it. He affected my heart by his grace in such a way that I chose him. Ask yourself, is that possible? And my guess is that you can get there because he gives us grace sufficient to affect our hearts. Outside of his grace, the heart would never surrender to God. Without his grace, our heart's going to just continue to pursue the things it wants to pursue, and those things are destructive and bad. But why would God do this? Why would God choose for himself a people? Why would he be so selective? Because what he's choosing are people who will be holy and blameless. The, the word salvation is implied here, but it's not said in the text. His choosing is so we might be holy and blameless. Let's unpack those two words. What does it mean to be holy? It means to be set apart for God in order to reflect his nature. So his choosing is so that we might be set apart for him in order to reflect his nature. Romans 8.29 talks about this as well. It says, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. We are going to be conformed to look like Jesus. In that he, Jesus, might be firstborn. That is a place of supremacy. Jesus might be supreme among many brothers and many sisters. So God did all this so that we might look like his son. We might look like one of his many sons, but his real son, Jesus, is going to be supreme over all of them. This choosing is so that we would look like Jesus, be holy. We were also chosen to be blameless. That means without fault, blemish, or defect. Philippians 2, 12 through 15 says it this way. Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only my presence, but now much more my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. God has chosen, Jesus has saved, 
but our salvation is not unto this one moment in our life. Our salvation is to be worked out with reverent fear and trembling. What are we working out? What are we trying to accomplish? Glad you asked, verse 13. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Us working out our salvation is God fulfilling his will and his purpose in our life. And that will and that purpose is this, that we might become blameless and pure. Children of God. Children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. And when we've done that, then we will shine among them, this generation, like stars in the sky. What if God chose us, chose believers to be more than simply saved, but he changed us to live in a way. He transformed us to live in such a unique and holy way for our time here on this earth that our lives actually shine. That our lives actually shined into a generation that's crooked and depraved, that's warped and messed up. What if, what if that was his will and his purpose for us? To make us holy and blameless make us pure and set apart for him and his purpose, to make us look like his son. What if that's why he chose us? I think that's what the text is saying. Verse 5 says this, In love he predestined us. The word predestined means being marked out beforehand. So in love he marked us out beforehand for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. That phrase, in love, hanging out there at the end of verse 4 and right before verse 5. If you, if you can see it in your Bible, it will make a little bit more sense. The NIV didn't know where to put it. It definitely goes with verse 4 and it definitely goes with verse 5. So they split it right down the middle. They made a new sentence starting at the end of verse 4, which is weird. And then they put a verse number, which was not from God. They put that right there to separate the next thought. So that little phrase, in love, is paramount because I think it governs verse 4, the choosing, and verse 5, the predestining for adoption, I think we have to see all this in love. And we'll, we'll flesh that out more, but make sure you see the motivation here. The motivation of God choosing and adopting, the motivation of this occurring, is not so that he can be awesomer. It's love. It's love that motivates all of this. And in love, he marked us out beforehand for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ. I want you to get the picture. I think a lot of the world has this image of God, the image of a judge sitting on the judge's seat with a gavel, determining right from wrong, but also determining eternity and not. You walk up, he judges you according to how you lived your life, yay or nay, go forward. I think a lot of us see that. But his will and his purpose were to adopt sons and daughters to be conformed into the image of his son. So the picture is this. The judge demands a penalty for the life lived in sin. The judge then says, I'll pay the penalty in the form of my own son, so this price, I've got it covered. And, and I think many of us have at least seen that play out, of course, you know, and then we're not judged, but God judges his son and the, you know, the, the imputed righteousness, like we, we get that. 
But did you see the, the third step then? The judge judging pays the penalty for us, but then he does this. He steps down off of his judge's seat and he walks over and he says, in love, um, now you who were an object of my wrath, but because of Jesus Christ, uh, you have now stepped into eternity with me. Um, I'm going to adopt you. I'm, I'm, the judge just looked out and saw the criminal and not only paid the penalty, but then said, now come home with me. Come, let, let me be your father. In the first century, an adopted child had the same exact rights as a biological child. So when God says, I have chosen you before the foundations of the world and I've predestined you to be adopted as sons and daughters, what he's saying is, you're in the family. I see you like I see my own son. Why this plan? Why this way? Why, why does that even flesh out in eternity? Well, first and foremost, it is the ultimate expression of love. There's really no greater expression than to look at someone who you have just convicted and to say, I'll pay your penalty and actually I will adopt you. I'll take you just the way you are and I'll, I'll make you a full heir. There's no greater expression of love than that. But also look at the end of verse 5. God does it because it was his pleasure and his will to do so. The motivation behind it is love, but he's also executing his pleasure and his will. Those words are interesting, though. The word pleasure can mean good feelings that one person had, has towards another person. So his pleasure could be that he just feels good about being in this relationship with us. That could be it. However, in verse 5, there's no object. And in the Greek, when this word is used without an object like it is here, it usually means purpose. So instead of saying it's God's pleasure, it is correct to say it's God's purpose. And that's only confusing until you go to Chick-fil-A today for lunch. Okay? Stick with me. Okay. When you go to Chick-fil-A, oh, you can't go today. Never mind. Strike that. They will not be open. Um, <laughs> sorry for those of you who's like, oh man, I want it. Okay, when you go tomorrow for the, the biscuit, here's the deal. If you have the audacity to tell the person working at Chick-fil-A, thank you, what do they say back to you? My pleasure. They don't say you're welcome. They say my pleasure. I highly doubt that for that young man who just handed me my chicken nuggets, it literally brought him pleasure. I, I really don't think. He's just like, yep! Here's your third diet coke refill. I cannot think of anything greater to do on this earth. <laughs> but it's not an, a an accurate statement either. If, if they say, it's my pleasure, they're saying, that's my purpose. You can thank me for it, but thank is, thanks is not necessary because that's what I'm here to do. I'm here to give you your chicken nuggets and I'm here to refill your Diet Coke. It's my purpose. And I think when we see God through that lens, it starts to paint a very, very unique picture of who he is. 
My very purpose was to choose you and then to adopt you. That's what I'm doing. When I fulfill my purpose as God, that's one of them. It's my pleasure. It's my purpose. But it's also my will. The word will there in the Greek reveals more of an emotion than a volition. So I think a better translation of that is heart's desire. So it's God's purpose? Yes. That's one thing, to have a purpose that you do begrudgingly. So maybe he does this begrudgingly. But if it's your heart's desire, that completes the picture. It is my purpose and my heart's desire to choose you and to adopt you. I can't think of anything greater. That picture is now complete. And that's important before we move on to verse 6. Because the first phrase of verse 6 can be skipped over far too easily unless you understand the full picture of God's purpose and his heart to choose and adopt. And if we get that, then verse 6 makes sense. When Paul just continues his thought and says, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one, Jesus, that he loves. It makes sense to Paul if God's greatest heart's desire and his purpose is to choose and adopt us, then our response as those who are chosen should be one of praise. But notice The praise is not directly of God. What is the praise for? His glorious grace. Thank you, God, for this unmerited favor that you have poured out on us. Without it, I am utterly and completely hopeless. But in it, I not only find election, but I find adoption as your child. And you form me to become blameless and holy, to be like your child. It is your heart's desire and your purpose. So all I can think to do is say, praise your glorious grace, because it's everything I need and it's everything I hope for. Your glorious grace freely given to us and the one that you love. Here's what I know, church. I know these truths beyond a shadow of a doubt. I know that left on our own, we would never find our way back to God. I know that our heart would never choose him left on our own. And that may be hard to swallow, but the truth is there. We are objects of his wrath, saved by his merciful grace. Without his grace, our heart is not just going to stumble into relationship with him. I know that to be true. I know this as well. His election and adoption are not grievous abuses of power. He's not just up there going, ha ha. Instead, they are tremendous acts of grace. The fact that God chose anyone is an amazing testimony to his grace. It's an amazing sentiment to how much he does love 
He's not abusive. He's gracious. And I know this. We should celebrate or we should praise the grace that has been given to us through Jesus Christ when it's revealed to us by the Holy Spirit. For without that grace, we would be left on our own merit to find salvation. And that would not work out so well for us. Or anyone in this room. So, praise His glorious grace that He's chosen you and me. He's adopted us in Christ and called us His very own children. And He's working out within us with fear and trembling our salvation that we might be holy and blameless. That we might be lights in this crooked and depraved generation. Praise His glorious grace for that. And as Nick comes back out here, the response today is is one of two, depending on where you're at. If you've been chosen in Christ, then know that is not of you so that anyone can boast. It's all because of God. His grace has been extended to those whom He has called. And His grace is It's effectual. It affects your heart. God doesn't choose people and then drag them kicking and screaming down the aisle into a loving relationship with Him. His grace affects your heart. His grace moves you. His love beckons you. His voice calls you. His heart desires you. His intent and purpose is to woo you by His grace. And I bet some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Because you felt it in your heart. You've felt God beckon. You've heard Him call. You've relished in His love, in His mercy. You feel like He is wooing you, calling you. That's His grace. His grace sufficient enough to affect our hearts in such a way that we would respond to Him. So today, our prayer team will come here, and if your heart is being affected by His grace through the Holy Spirit, then it would be in good order for you to respond to that grace, to His calling, His choosing of you. You you would respond, and our prayer team members would receive you And we would pray with and for you. And you do that not because of anything you've earned, but because God chose you and wants you as a son or daughter. And then those of you who are in Christ, who have responded to His grace, yours is simple. Thank Him. Praise Him. Celebrate that His grace was sufficient for you. 
And it shouldn't just be here, it should be continual. Because His grace is sufficient all the days of your life. And He's working out the salvation within you. But I'll be honest, church, it should get a little silly in here today. <laughs> For those of you who are in Christ, when you see that it's because God chose you and He's adopted you as sons and daughters and He's done so because of His glorious grace, your natural praise of that glory and grace should be a little overt. It, it should be exciting. There needs to be a freedom in here for you to just say, thank you for that grace that called me a sinner into salvation. It should be that way. And so that's my prayer. That there will be freedom in here to respond to the grace of God, to His calling. For whatever you need. Whatever you need. That you would respond to Him. And if he's calling you, you come. You come. And let one of our prayer team members or pastors pray with you. If you need anything else in prayer, we are here to minister to you through Jesus Christ. That's why we're up here. Communion, back of the rooms, wonderful opportunity, testimony of what God's doing and calling you. However you need to respond, respond to him as he affects your heart. So God, we pray that in the name of Jesus that you would move and act according to your will and to your purpose, that your heart's desire would happen today, that those whom you have chosen before the foundation of the world would receive your infinite grace today through the one that you love, Jesus Christ. May it be that way. May hearts be ministered to. May you be glorified. And in all things, may the name of Jesus be lifted high. We pray that in his name. Amen. Let's stand and respond to him.